You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's, it's not that far off from being something that could potentially happen for a guy. What, Zach? What? I'm not... Uh, you you got to look on your face for a second there. I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm just chilling. Okay. okay. Sorry. Um, but Chris had a chance to smoothly say something newsy in the middle of the podcast and it just got torpedoed by you want me to redo that? No, I think it's great. No, I love I'll redo it. I'll redo oh it. My God. Write it down. Both of you. What did I do? I went like this. Apparently you made a I, face. So I thought Zach made a face. Like, why is he saying that? I was saying that to kind of slide it out there. Yeah, I think it's fine. Slide it out there. That was okay. good. It was all good. Well, we didn't have to I do any. We, we could have kept going. This was all fun and fine. You guys are. I'll count in three, me. two, one. It's all your fault, Brendan. Calm down, Brendan. Gobble, gobble. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for today's episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Nee, Zach Blostein. We're going to get in. We're going to get out. We have a lot to do today because it's the day before Thanksgiving. That's my turkey impersonation. I did crows last week. Turkey's today. Probably no bird calls for the remaining ever. I think we've got it pretty wrapped up at this point. Can you do a turkey, Zach? Chris, we're not going to go any further. Let's go. Let's get right into it. Uh, hopefully everyone is going to be listening to us either the day before Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving, as you're trying to hide from your in-laws, uh, maybe in the bathroom, taking like a 40-minute poop that you're just listening to us. But, uh, but yeah, hopefully you've had safe travels. Hopefully you're enjoying time with your family. And then we have football on Friday. Let's get into it. The Seminoles host the Gators. The opponent with no name, Chris. Beautiful, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, Black Friday, 7.30 p.m. kickoff, primetime baby. FSU is eight and three on the season. It's just weird to say eight and three. Gators are six and five, coming off a loss to Vanderbilt. But a week before that, though, convincing win against South Carolina. So kind of this Jekyll and Hyde team that FSU is facing. But as Mike Norvell is privy to say, uh, it's about us. And what FSU has done in the last month on this four-game winning streak is, uh, simply put, we've mentioned it time and time again, but it is just so impressive, and that's handle business. And I, I'm bringing that up because last year, fellas, FSU went into the swamp with something to play for, lost their minds emotionally just all over the place and did not handle the business. I think Alex Atkins said it best that FSU went into that game trying to beat an opponent rather than just play its game. And on Friday, I think we will get a good idea of just how far this team has come from an emotional development standpoint. Yeah, and it's been kind of an overriding theme of the season of lessons learned, applying lessons, whether it's lessons learned last year to this year or game to game this year. And I, I think we've seen a great deal of growth with FSU's football team and just their maturity level and basically, and I know it's kind of cliche, but a business-like approach to what they're doing. We very much have seen that, especially since the bye. I'm hoping that continues this week. Emotions always ride high with this game and I'm not going to say it's just not a game because I don't feel like the staff treats it like just another game from a what it means to the program standpoint. But from a preparation standpoint, they do try to treat it just like another game. It's just about figuring out what do they do well, how do we stop doing what they do well, and how do we go and do what we're capable of doing. And based off of practice on Tuesday, I feel really good about where FSU sits going into this game. Uh, you know, just again, they look like a team that's hyper-focused and they have for some time now. And I know it can all go away very quickly. It's fleeting, but they seem really dialed in, and I kind of expect that to continue on Friday evening. I think this was a very good week of practice, to Chris's point. Uh, when when the scout team – and you're not looking at this point in the season evaluating players so much, so like the scout team stuff isn't about speed. It isn't about agility, athleticism. You know that That's what we value, uh, one-on-ones and stuff. Earlier in the season, we were trying to figure out who, who, is, who can contribute – who isn't quite there yet. Uh, But at this point in the year, you're just trying to see how you execute your game plan. And when Mike Norvell is really happy one play after another, and they're generally moving through concepts quickly and not having to go back to plays during the scout team installation part of practice, that's a really good sign. And that struck out. That's that uh, 
struck out to me. Stood out to me. It struck me. I thought you got coffee this morning, so I figured you'd be on your A game. But so I'm far, it hasn't eh, hit. About a C game. It hasn't hit yet. You're a C game. It hasn't hit yet because you made me start the podcast 20 minutes earlier than I anticipated. So you got me off my routine. Thank you. Um, but anyways, back to the podcast. FSU looked really sharp in practice this week. Zach, we like to talk about when Jordan Travis has a good week of practice. It usually translates over to game days pretty well. Maybe it's a little hyperbolic at this point, but I think there is something to it. If you could describe Jordan Travis's week in two words, what would it be? Sheer perfection. Oh, we're going to go chef's kiss, which is what you were doing all day yesterday. I mean that too. It was, um, you know, Monday was, he, he looked like, you know, like we usually see him on Monday, uh, accurate. Um, but on Tuesday, man, it looked like as good as we've ever seen the offense running with Jordan Travis at the helm. Um, he was delivering dimes all across the field. Um, there was one play he threw to Treshawn Ward, um, on a route downfield and basically DJ Lundy had perfect coverage. Um, this is a play, you know, highlighting DJ Lundy as well, but the ball was perfectly placed for Trayshawn Ward. It was, if not for DJ Lundy, literally being there and, you know, perfect playing perfect defense on Trayshawn Ward. And also I think it was either Shaheem or someone else, another yeah, safety, coming across. Yeah, safety help came over to talk yeah. on that too. Um, and, and it was a PBU, but man, I, I cannot explain to you how perfect that ball was. It was in a spot where only Trayshawn, could actually, you know, catch it. So um, just, you know, he, he was awesome on Tuesday. I mean, that was a, that was a fun day to watch practice because the offense was just humming. Um, and yeah, like Brendan said, usually when JTrav has a good week of practice, that typically translates over to, um, you know, Saturdays or in this case, Friday. Yeah. And remember, because they're playing on Friday, this week's Tuesday is normal FSU Wednesday. This week's yeah. Monday was normal FSU Tuesday. So, um, you know, Wednesday in a normal game week where FSC plays on a Saturday is the most important day, in my opinion, of practice. Uh, it's the last one we get to see, so we obviously put a little more significance on it. But I think from an FSU standpoint, you want it to be clicking. You want it to be humming. You want there to be a clear uh, where what they've talked about in the meeting room has transcended onto the football field and is being executed at a high level. And yesterday, that was the case for FSU's Wednesday practice, which was held on a Tuesday this week. Yeah, this is not helping my brain at all. <laughs> Today's a Wednesday, but also a Thursday and also a Tuesday. You know, it's, yes, it's yesterday Wednesday was in real life. It's Thursday in FSU life. That's just where we are. Just accept it. But yesterday was the rare Tuesday that felt like a Wednesday, but also a Friday. Yeah, it did feel like a Friday. Oh, so all the days, all the days are just melting into one right now. So Zach mentioned DJ Lundy. We didn't get to do our normal monday recap podcast because we were holding out for it it was finally a good day (laughs) was it baxter oh boy zach can you go monday for the people i think they really like that monday (laughs) so brock glass so we so we had the we had we wanted to keep landing space open for what was expected to be the brock glenn commitment on monday uh, that is what ultimately happened. So we didn't get to talk about the Louisiana game. Not much to go over, but Zach mentioned DJ Lundy. I thought he was so good against Louisiana and good in areas that we normally haven't seen him before, right? Like played in space multiple times, getting off of blocks on the perimeter and then finishing uh, again in space. He's lighter than he's ever been. Uh, he's playing it fast. The FSU has been able to kind of keep his rep count down in his back half of the season, which has been a really important development for the entire defense, in my opinion. Fabian Lovett only like playing 14 snaps last week before rivalry game is huge. And he hasn't played had to play more than 26 since his return. But Lundy's important because we get into a little bit of Florida prep and preview now. Kev Little uh, put up a great video on the X's and Knowles YouTube page uh, about Florida and how to kind of stymie their offense, which can be very Jekyll and Hyde, but like when it's going kind of dynamic, has a really good run game and has a vertical passing game when it's good. And they do a lot of two tight end sets. So that probably means FSU will have to play three linebackers a lot, I would assume. And that means DJ Lundy will get a lot of burn as that Sam linebacker who can kind of play close to the line of scrimmage and has to do a little bit of everything. So DJ had a really good week of practice. I think that's important. Greedy Vance continues to play really well. He had a good week of practice. Jerry and Jones, who's actually been pretty solid at cornerback this season, has gotten better and better. Uh, he had a good week of practice. So 
Chris, uh, as we focus on Florida here, I guess what stands out about their offense, Anthony Richardson makes that thing go. Uh, that that to me seems to be the the side of the ball that could give you problems. So what have you seen in your research from them so far? Well, I dived into this a lot in the 247 this week. I, I did splits again. It's the time of year where splits kind of tell a story, especially for a team that's hovering around 500 like Florida is. Honestly, I, I think you I think you just figured out I think you just figured out what splits are for the first like I think you just figured out how to no, do that and you love it. No, now. I've always known what splits are, but I think splits after two or four games are kind of worthless because it's a small sample size. But once you get into the eight to ten range, and certainly anything after that, I think it does tell a lot of story, especially for teams that are wildly inconsistent. And that's probably a good way of describing Florida. Florida is a little Jekyll and Hyde, a little schizo. There's times where they're really, really good, and there's times when they're just not very good. They do rank overall 33rd in total offense, posting about 439.5 yards of so 440 yards of offense. Um, you know, as Brennan referenced, Anthony Richardson's a big armed guy. Completion-wise, as far as yards on completion, he ranks, I believe, it's sixth in the country with about 14 yards per completion. The issue is he only completes about 55-56% of his passes, which isn't particularly good out of the total amount of quarterbacks ranked. He's in the uh, bottom 20% of that group for that percentage. So that kind of speaks to what they are as a passing offense. You know, explosive big plays. Now a question mark for Saturday will be somewhat who in that receiving core is available? Xavier Henderson's banged up. Ricky Pearsall's banged up. Two pretty important pieces for them. Beyond yeah, Anthony Richardson, go ahead, Zach. I was just going to Jaquavian Frazier's is another big, uh, big target. Yeah, for he that. that's he's out. expected to be out from what I was told yeah. in talking to UF people. The other two are more questionable types. Pearsall got hurt against Vandy. Henderson missed the Vandy game. So it's sort of a to be determined with those. I know two. Frazier's was big for them uh, against Texas A&M. He had a few big catches. So. Um, definitely missing a few pieces out of that the receiving core. Yeah, Justin Shorter is a receiver who they should have available. Yeah. Transfer from Penn State, very talented kid. He leads them with 577 receiving yards. Definitely a name to know. The other offensive piece I would mention that we expect to play is Montreal Johnson, their running back. 127 rushes, 742, nine rushing touchdowns. Decent catcher out of backfield, but not a guy who I would describe as a dual threat running back in that sense. More of a true line it up and run the ball kind of guy. Trevor Etienne is their other running back, brother of Travis, who played at Clemson. Uh, capable player. He's a little bit more dual threat type where he can be a receiver out of backfield. Also impacts the return game to some degree. And then on the flip side of the ball, you know, do you want me to get into defense now or you want me to slow nope. my roll a little bit? No, let's get right. let's get into it. All right, they're not very good on defense. Um, to be just perfectly honest, uh, the loss of Brenton Cox really hurt because their pass rush just isn't very good after him. Leading uh, sack master right now is Amari Bernie, who had the clutch play against Utah for those that were watching that game at the earlier part of the year. Bernie's been a really good player for them. He's a veteran. Ventrell Miller is probably their best defensive player, barring a reversal of his targeting call against – Vanderbilt, he will be suspended for the first half of this upcoming game. So that's pretty impactful on them. Uh, Ventral Miller, I think, is their best player on defense personally. I thought that going into the year, Cox is probably the most impactful. He left the team after I believe it was eight games. So they're without him. Uh, up front, Desmond Watson's a guy who's kind of, you know, talked about a lot because he's 6'5, 450 pounds, huge, eats up a lot of space. You know, he's going to play probably two dozen or so snaps, roughly, is what you would expect him to play. From a defensive end standpoint, with the loss of Cox, Princely, Uman Malian, probably mess, messing that last name up, but he's a sophomore at the end for them. He's got three and a half sacks, eight tackles for loss. He's probably the name to know. Bernie's a second level guy, along with Miller. And then from a secondary standpoint, Jaden Hill has been an effective corner for them. Rashad Torrance is a really good player for them. But again, like some of the other guys we talked about here, he may not play. He's banged up. It's questionable whether or not he's able to go against the Seminoles. So, their defense is not good in the sense that they give up a lot of yards. I think they're allowing over 400 yards per game. I know I wrote about it in the 247 for those that want to dive in on the numbers. Florida's offense is good at avoiding sacks. They've only allowed 12 on a year. Anthony Richardson's a huge part of that. You know, his, uh, his ability to evade is huge. They're 11th in the country allowing one sack per game, basically. But defensively, they're not very good at creating chaos. They're not good at creating negative plays. They've only had 19 sacks on the season. They do have 60 tackles for loss. The 19 sacks is 1.73 per game, which is 91st in the nation. And that was with Brenton Cox factoring into those numbers. Cox is, I believe, still technically tied for the team lead in sacks, even though he hasn't been with the program for a month now. 
So that just kind of speaks to their inability to get to the quarterback consistently. If you think back to last year's game, talks wreaked complete havoc on FSU. And, you know, the inability to block it up up front was a major issue for FSU in that game, among other issues. Penalties, secondary getting torched at times. There were a lot special of things. Teams. I, Yeah, special teams. Yeah, thanks for that, Zach. Uh, memories. Um, I just don't think that last year's game is going to mirror this year's game from where FSU is versus where Florida now is as a program. The Florida run defense, I think, is what number stood out to me. I think they're ranked 95th nationally. They give up like four and a half yards to carry, something like that. FSU is ninth nationally in yards per carry. So uh, these, the path to running the ball successfully, certainly, and it exists for FSU. I mean, this is an offense that's rushed for 200 yards in six straight games now. Again, we've got to go back to 1995, the last time that happened to this program um, when, when things were humming. So uh, that will be an area to certainly monitor on Friday. Let's see here. A red zone. Other... Oh, okay. Well, the red zone's been They're... much better for Florida State lately. Yes, and awesome. Florida's not particularly good at it. They rank 119th in the nation in converting for points offensively. 75% of the time they convert. 29 of the 48 red zone visits have resulted in touchdowns. 36 total scores. And then defensively, they rank 76th, 76th in the nation in allowing opponents to convert at 84.1% of red zone visits. 44 red zone visits for opponents, 37 scores, 27 touchdowns. The 27 touchdowns is 61.4% of red, bo- red zone visits for opponents, resulting in seven points. All right, take a break, buddy. Take a break. You I know. am. I'm going to go drink some coffee. Put a little Bailey's in there. You know, one thing that, that I find interesting with some of the, the numbers that Chris routed off there is that at the midway point in the season, I thought Florida and Florida State really resembled each other in a lot of ways. It's just statistical categories. Both were very good at running the football. Both had explosive passing attacks. Uh, defensively, both had their warts. Uh, and then on uh, red zone, uh, neither team was particularly proficient on either side of the field. And as we've seen the season progress, Florida State has gotten better at its deficiencies, much better, both in the red zone and the defense has been uh, honestly. Th- that first string defense in the last month and granted level of competition, backup quarterbacks and whatnot, you got to factor that in. It's probably been the number one defense in the country in terms of just being impactful. I, I think they lead the country in first half uh, three and punt situations. And I think they're second and three and outs. So they're really great at that. And they've been great uh, this back half of the season, whereas Florida's kind of floundered and attrition and, Billy Napier's got a lot of revamping to do with that program right now, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens, whereas Florida State uh, is hitting its stride right now in year three under Mike Norvell. And, fellas, that makes this just an incredibly important game, I think, for Florida State in the sense that, like, you're ascending, UF's floundering. This gives you a chance as a program to really put an emphatic exclamation point to the end of the season while knocking down your foe a little bit. Uh, this is going to be a big one. This is big that I think will have implications beyond just one game. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I It's a chance for FSU to be well ahead of schedule and continue momentum, massive momentum, one would say, and potentially align themselves for a ball game that's well above anything I think anybody expected going into the year, presuming where they end up in the college football playoff rankings. You know, entering that top 12 really changes the dynamics of the ball game they can get. And then the flip side of that is just, you know, Florida would be six and six and that fan base would be downright miserable. And we know what they can do when they're miserable in the sense to what, how, just how they react and the vitriol and all fan bases do it. But that one, I think amplifies it a bit more than most. Yeah. I was on, I was on Bianchi's show this morning. He had Edgar Thompson from the Orlando Sentinel on who covers uh, UF and uh, before me. So I was listening to that and Edgar was, talk about lack of coaching adjustments and how they just have to coach better. And like, man, there's already blood in the water down there. It's kind of, you hate to see it. Three years is is so commonly their thing. And I I know the, the comment back would be, we fired Willie Taggart after 21 games, but historically FSU has been a more patient program than Florida for what it's worth. Yes. Florida, Florida is a little itchy in that regard. Uh, Let's see. Oh, uh, Micah Pittman, Johnny Wilson, both expected to play for Florida State on Saturday right now, or excuse me, Friday. Florida State, I, I caught myself, Chris. I saw you smiling there. Uh, the Seminoles seem pretty healthy right now, and that's really good news. Uh, 
to be healthy for these rivalry games in this final stretch of the season. That that's been uh, a hat tip to the way this program is is been developed, and they're playing remarkably fast right now. And uh, guys are being extremely physical in games. And yeah, I mean the SNC program can't really control injuries, but the rehab process and getting guys to to hit their full full potential at this part in the season uh, is by design and that, and that's paying off. So, and I think get... also uh, like to add on to that, it's just, they don't, you know, the first team guys aren't having to take as many reps. They don't have right. to play, you know, the past four games, they haven't play, have to play a full game. Um, so that's helped yeah. a ton with limiting, you know, whether it's injuries or just fatigue in general, um, they're still getting the same amount of practice reps, but that those in-game reps that I think that's helping a ton and, and keeping FSU healthy. Uh, one last point, and then we're going to get to Byers Sinone here. Uh, but one last point I think kind of interesting. We touched on it last week. I don't even know how to write about it. I don't think I will. But it is a unique situation, and that's that Florida's offense is very similar to the one that Florida State played just last week, Louisiana's. Uh, Billy Napier was the head coach at Louisiana, obviously. Louisiana's head coach, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name, uh, was Michael. under Billy – Michael, Michael, Michael was was the offensive coordinator under Billy Napier and a multi-year assistant. So anyways, very similar offensive schemes. Asked Mike Norvell and Adam Fuller about that yesterday. Both acknowledged. Yes, very similar. Uh, Adam Fuller was pretty coy <laughs> with with the response, which I didn't enjoy. Um, what I do not understand and I have not been able to figure out that I, don't, I, I got a pretty clear signal not to continue prying on it. But that's whether it's a good thing for FSU or a bad thing. I think you could look at it either way, right? Like you got experience against that offense, but also you put tape out there too. Uh, yeah, defensively. And, you, and like Norvell said, he thinks that um, Billy Napier is probably in communication with his old buddies back at Louisiana about you know what worked, what didn't work against FSU um, with a similar offensive scheme. Adam Fuller has talked a lot on Mondays about how when you're defensive game planning, you're thinking about what do we think they're going to do? How do we counter what they do? Also, what do we want to do to dictate terms? Those are kind of the two things. I think the interesting side story with this game with regards to the fact that there's some, you know, replication between the two opponents that they played last week and this coming week is that obviously you expect some things that Florida's going to do, but is Florida going to try to flip the script? Do you get into the mind game of that, or do you just kind of worry about yourself? I think FSU right now, with the way they're playing defense, is going to be more concerned with just execute what we're good at fundamentally within our system package-wise and go with that. But, yeah, there's a little bit of an interesting chess match with some of that stuff. But I, I think you can also get yourself in a little bit of trouble thinking about it too much, truthfully. A game within a game. All right, let's play. Speaking of games, let's play everyone's favorite game, by or Sinone, sponsored by... The Turner Group. The Turner Group. All right. Colin hooked us up with some swag this this past week uh, that Zach has yet to share with any of us. It's all mine. <laughs> Got a pretty good Yeti, Yeti mug there I'm looking forward to getting into, uh, as well as a beer opener, which Colin knows his audience, evidently. So the Turner Group is a premier real estate company in central Florida. It's a husband and wife team. Colin and Amy are both FSU grads. It's only four employees working for the Turner Group, but they do work. They closed on nearly 100 homes last year, grinding again this year. Uh, they Colin will work extremely hard for you. If you're interested in knowing about the home buying process or if you're getting close to being in the market, hit up Colin and Amy at the Turner Group at 407 403-8546 or email him at get started at the or just give him a little Google the Turner group. And if you're in the state of Florida, uh, I, I assure you will be happy with the service you will receive. Colin is extremely prompt and we'll get back to you right away. So don't Sinone on buying or selling home because it's a daunting process. Hit up the Turner group. They will help you out. Let's get into it. Gentlemen, buy or Sinone. I'm going to go about like five or six today because we want to get through this. Here, appreciate all the questions, all the buyers and owns. First one is from S. Cormorandi. Buyers and owns. This is a good one. It's more important to bring back Alex Atkins next season than it is Jordan Travis. Oh, Sonona. Um, I just, I, I love Alex Atkins. I think the world of the guy. I think he does a phenomenal job, and I think he's been a massive reason for the turnaround here. 
But quarterback's the most important position on the field, and it makes the program go. And I think Jordan Travis is a little bit tougher to potentially replace from an offensive standpoint than Alex Atkins, and that is not to undersell Alex Atkins in the least. It is a it's a tight race for me with that one. I think I'm going to side with Chris here, also known. I think uh, just having a like you see all these teams out across the country, just having like an elite level quarterback or just even a very good level quarterback. Uh, no, Jordan Travis, elite quarterback. You said it. I don't want to throw a lead around, um, but a, not on this pod. But Alex Atkins is an elite level coach. So <laughs> um, this is an elite podcast. I really, you know, everything around me is elite. Um, but I, I think. Uh, I think getting Jay Trav back would just be huge for for this program um, as they try to you know find a replacement. I don't know you know Tate Roadmaker obviously proved himself as a guy that can come in and, and um, you know, in that Louisville game kind of you know rally the troops and, and won that game. So you know, I'm not as worried as I was maybe going into the season about what's next at FSU for quarterback, but I think just having another season with Jay Trav at the helm would only help this program move forward. Number twenty five, Louisville. Are they ranked? Yeah. They are ranked in the playoffs. Satterfield went from almost certainly being fired to here we are now. Real question is, how is UCF still ranked? Brand strong. What can I say? People still remember that. Navy's a quality loss now. I hate to agree, like for all of us to agree, because it could be kind of boring, but uh, so no. And two points I want to bring out there uh, that, that you guys didn't mention, and one is that yeah, well, Alex Atkins, I mean, he's a he's a semifinalist for being the uh, the Bros Award, which goes to the uh, country's top assistant coach. Uh, shout out Mike Norvell coaching tree, Kenny Dillingham and Alex Atkins, both finalists, top 15 assistant coaches in the country. But, uh, but you know, if he were to move on, and, and I don't know if this is the year for Alex Atkins, I mean, he's going to be a head coach. I think that's, that's a sooner rather than later deal, and, and he deserves it. He's an amazing assistant, and he's thrived at Florida State and gotten better with the more responsibility that's been put on his plate. If you lose him, yes. Uh, the recruiting class with some of the offensive linemen that that he's brought in the last couple of years, like that, he's so relationship-based that that does hurt you. Um, but I will say, like, collectively as a program, I mean, like, Mike Norvell is still the – this is still primarily his offense. And whereas Alex Atkins does a phenomenal job with the run scheme, and, and he's, again, done such a good job taking on uh, more of an ownership of this offense this year, it's still Mike Norvell. So that is the asset on offense. Having Jordan Travis to keep it humming, I think is is more important ultimately uh, for the reasons you guys mentioned. So uh, let's see. Renegade Null 82, Byers-Sanone. The outcome of Friday's game will impact at least two big-time prospects. So this is a recruiting-based question for the rivalry game. Uh, Zach, I will start with you since you are a recruiting guru, by or sanone Two big-time prospects being impacted by the outcome of this game? Why? Um, you know, I think, I mean, it's just you know, whatever you categorize as a big-time prospect, I would say um, you could even say commitment, but if you don't want to say commitment, I think, you know, Cedric Baxter is probably going to have his eyes on this game. Um, and then uh, Ruben Bain, Damari Brown, a bunch of in-state guys that FSU is still involved with, um, all, you know, top 100-level talent. Um, so, yeah, definitely going to have an impact on recruiting. Um, you know, how much of an impact is to be determined, but those are some big-time prospects that are certainly going to be tuned in. Um, if they're not going to be there, they're going to be, you know, watching on TV or watching highlights. I'll buy for the sake of the game. And to add to Zach's point, a guy like Isaac Smith, four-star safety from Mississippi, who's coming in for an official. This is one of those swing big kind of visits where it's his first time at FSU. He wants to see what it's like. You get him there, packed stadium at Doak going crazy, beating the Gators, that emotion, those kind of things. It gets interesting real quick. He's a Mississippi kid, so obviously the two in-state schools are going to be in it. His dad went to one of those two schools, LSU's in it, Texas A&M, Vanderbilt. Uh, he mentioned USC to me. That's a full update about previewing the visit on the front page with him this morning if you want to give it a read. But he's one of those kids that, like, we're going to go from not really having ever talked about very much outside of a mention here or there by Zach in past months to maybe it's a pretty big deal come Monday. And the game might be the swing point for that. So, yeah, sure. By Orsonone, this is from Bloom24. More than two on-field coaching changes this offseason. 
I'm buying that, but not for the reasons people want to think. I'm not here to fire people. I, I think we're well removed from the firing range because FSU might win 10 football games. I'm buying it because, say, a guy like Alex Atkins does get a head coaching job. He is being interviewed by people at this point. He is a potential candidate at multiple places at this point. Does he take somebody else with him? I think that's a realistic thing to consider. That would be two guys immediately. When you're winning football games and FSU's winning football games and you're looking pretty damn good doing it as FSU is, your staff becomes appealing. People are going to come calling. Randy Shannon's an experienced guy. It would not shock me if somebody comes calling and wants to offer him a D.C. job. He's done it in the past. You know That would be kind of simple math to me in the sense of a possibility. Adam Fuller's a guy who's probably going to enter the discussion for some G5-type jobs. It would not shock me in the least with the fact of what he's done with that defense this year and what they've put on paper that he does at least get a call and have a conversation. There are schools where he would make sense as the kind of head coach that would be a stabilizing force and knows what he's doing. So I think think there's a legit chance that, yeah, you could see two departures, but I don't think it's because we're going to be firing anybody. I I don't – Mike Norvell loves the continuity – God, I messed that word up royally. He loves the consistency – thank you. But he loves the consistency of the staff. He's spoken multiple times about how – especially with like senior day coming up. So many guys here dealt with so much change for like a three, four year period that the fact that this staff has remained relatively the same outside of a departure like Dillingham for Oregon, that it has allowed for the guys kind of to take to it. And there's something to that. I don't, I don't expect them to rock the boat in that regard. Oh, Chris Marv. Don't forget about Chris Marv. Yeah. And Marv left for Virginia Tech. Thank Is you. it bad? I've forgotten multiple times that Chris Marv left for Virginia Tech. No, it's not. It's not that bad. Truthfully, I I had a moment where I knew Randy Shannon wasn't on the staff, but I couldn't remember how he ended up on the staff. So I've done it too. So it just is what it is. But yeah, uh, I yeah I I think I'll buy it for. I, we can stop asking though after this one. Like we will see what happens this offseason. I think FSU will have, be a commodity in the coaching ranks again, and the Mike Norvell. Uh, coaching assembly line that he had at Memphis might be a thing again. And that's ultimately a good, a good thing for a program. This question is going to be for you, Zach. You ready? I'm ready. And RG, no buyers known Brock Glenn starts more games at FSU than AJ Duffy. Bye. Um, do I have to explain this? I mean, come on, hot take machine. Like, don't stop now when the mic's on. No. Uh, you know, I'll be more level-headed. Um, hot takes, I'll save those for practice. Um, no, I, you know, I think uh, I'm a big fan of Brock Lynn. Watching his tape, he's got a huge arm. Um, he has great pocket presence. Uh, I'd like to see, you know, you know what he does uh, at an FSU practice and just kind of lay my eyes on him. I have not watched him in person besides at the Elite 11 wasn't there to watch him specifically at the time because FSU had another quarterback committed. Um, but Parsons. Don't hey, don't mess with my last name. Um the, yeah, I think uh I think Brock Glenn is exactly what Mike Norvell wants in a quarterback. And I think Mike Norvell probably had a little bit more of a hand in recruiting Glenn than he did Duffy. I think Duffy was a huge connection with uh, you know, then offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham. He did a great job recruiting the quarterback position. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think that Norvell kind of had more of a hand in, in, in the Glenn recruitment, along with obviously the main recruiter and Tony Tokars. Um, so, and, and Glenn has talked about from time and time again in interviews with us um, that he sees the FSU offense as super similar to the offense that he's already running at his high school. Um, he sees this offense as the best fit for him. Um, I think the Ohio State pick for like the first time was just because of, you know, the overall direction of both programs at the time. But obviously, after as the season has unfolded and FSU's eight and three, you know, when he commits, um, he's got a completely different outlook of of where these programs are heading. And I think that's what led him to make his decision. I mean, he said that himself, uh, make his decision to flip his commitment to FSU. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think Glenn, I think I'm taking Glenn to have uh, play more. Um, you know, snaps at FSU. I think that was the question. FSU did a good job overcoming negative recruiting with Brock Lynn by winning football games. Um, I'm going to be buzzkill Benny here, and sorry to the Turner group. I'm not buying or owning this one. I, I think the good thing is that FSU now has a more stacked quarterback room and let the chips fall where they may between Tate, Brock, AJ, for whatever's going to be next after Jordan Travis and how it's going to play out. 
I'm not going to crown one champion and say the other one, you know, needs to get warmed up and head to the portal, anything of that sort. I just, I, I think that it's smart by FSU to add a high school quarterback who's a high level talent that they valued, that they wanted, and a guy that they wanted throughout this whole process. When they made a decision to part with one quarterback, this was a the guy they were doing it for, and they went and got him at the end. I kind of wrote a column about that. Um, but yeah, I, it, at the end of the day, it's about competition in that room and seeing where it falls. I don't think anybody is the ear apparent, I guess is the best way I can put it. I will give AJ Duffy credit because he's frankly been pretty lackluster at long stretches in the season. Like there have been days where say he had to go with the twos or something like that. They just felt like days where he didn't capitalize on those moments as you would like him to and understand. He's a true freshman. He doesn't, hasn't played a whole lot of high school football because of some of the circumstances uh, that happened you know, in 2020. So someone who still has a lot of football ahead of him and a lot of developing to do, but just hasn't been as crisp at times as, as you would hope. Uh, with that being said, he had a couple of nice moments when he got in the game on Saturday against Louisiana. And I thought his Tuesday practice, second practice of the week, was honestly really sharp. One of his better days. But he had two pretty good days in a row. So maybe getting into a game for extended series, uh, getting to kind of feel what that level of, of speed at the college level is like, like maybe that's all he needed to to be a launching path for him moving forward. Yeah, uh, Brock Glenn's good for AJ Duffy too. It's uh, sort of you, like you made McKenzie that point Milton today. for Jordan Travis. Yes, it, it pushes you. you. You've got competition now. AJ Duffy's been third string quarterback all year, and he's going to be third string quarterback barring an injury ahead of him. And mm-hmm. sometimes that's kind of tough to motivate yourself and to you know go above and beyond. And now you got a guy who's going to be there tussling with you. So I think that's a positive. I think Brock Glenn's a safer pick. I think AJ Duffy has more upside. I don't think we can talk about the quarterback position without mentioning Luke Romanhawk. And I know he wasn't part of that question, but he has a ton of upside and and someone that I think might ultimately be a multi-year starter at Florida State if he develops the way I think he's going to. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see what the quarterback room is going to be a fun spring, right? With, with Especially if Jordan Travis comes back, which I'm leaning more and more towards thinking that that'll happen. Uh, but if you, you get... Brooklyn, AJ Duffy, Taylor Automaker, and Jordan Travis there. Like, yeah, yeah, it'd be fun to see that quarterback room with with four scholarship QBs competing. Be good. Uh, FSU Golf 2011. Byers known decorating for Christmas before Thanksgiving is acceptable. Uh, my wife will listen to this pod, so I'm going to say bye just to avoid the future fight. But we actually haven't done that this year. Uh, I. I think if you want to buy your Christmas tree and get it like going, that's fine to me. I think decorating for Christmas before Thanksgiving, like I think I think Black Friday is the first day you can start decorating, or even on Thanksgiving after dinner if you want to start getting into it. Like my uh, my wife's family will watch Christmas Vacation on Thanksgiving uh, evening, so I, I'm fine with that being the transition period. I think doing it before, I'm I'm gonna say no, and I, I think that's a tad too early, even as we as a society society uh, keep getting closer and closer to Christmas in the summertime. So no, you got to put them up. You got to decorate in December. The the tree for us happens after Thanksgiving, but sometimes the house is a day or two before. This is from unknown injury with, with, with what feels like an appropriate question. Byers to know the 24 seven staff knows far more about the team and things involving the team than we do. And don't make the information public because people would lose their minds and y'all would lose access. Uh, there's a little of that. Bye. There's a lot of that. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've explained it time and time again. With the injury stuff, it, it's a matter of it's a give and take. And the access we get for practices is what it is. We'll, we try to ask pertaining to guys, but too often there's rumors that run out there, and we saw this happen this week, where it just it gets rampant really quickly. And it's like, you know, let it play out. And yeah. in that case, it was nothing. But I think we're pretty forthcoming with as much as humanly possible. And my God, do we toe the line plenty and, you know, we get text messages here and there. Even the recruiting stuff, like I was talking about it with Zach the other day with like the Brock Glenn thing. Like people were freaking out on the board and some people getting angry on Friday. I understand why, like all of a sudden there's chum in the water, right? Should it, I it, should I explain the Brock Glenn timeline? You know what? Sure. I'm right. totally fine with it. The the, so, the the Brooklyn timeline, like the timeline or just the Friday? commitment. The, okay. Basically what happened Friday and brought about the thread that 
you know, took on life of its own. So Friday morning, I get a phone call from Steve Wilfong, the gold standard in recruiting in this industry. And Steve tells me Brooklyn is flipping, you know, he's gotten a heads up from the kid and whatnot. So I'm, I'm not at my house when I get the phone call. So I call these guys and Dane and tell them, Hey, we need to get rolling on doing content for this. It's coming down the pike. And, you know, Brendan had, and Zach had both kind of talked about how they thought it was a real possibility. I didn't think it was going to happen before Florida. I thought he might show up for Florida. And if that happened, then I thought it would happen. But I was hesitant to believe that Ohio State would allow Florida visit to happen. But anyways, I digress. It was it so, was done on Wednesday of last week. Yeah. So Friday com, Friday comes about. He he wants to do it the right way. Brock Lynn does. He wants to call Ryan Day and the Ohio State staff and decommit. And they end up playing phone tag for that entire day. He didn't speak to Ryan Day to my knowledge, till late in the evening, like 7, 8 p.m. More then like Ryan wa- evening. Then he wants to, God, Brendan, Jesus, cut that one out. <laughs> like that. I like Zach, that. Zach liked that one. It was pretty good. Um, then he wants to call FSU and make it official. And from what I understand, he did speak to the FSU staff on Friday evening, but it was very late by the time he finally spoke to Mike Norvell and Tony Tokars and company and told him of his intentions. Would it being so late, you know, dropping news at 10 p.m. isn't exactly what it, should be so you know he decided to wait till monday 6 p.m was set we knew monday morning when we woke up that it would be 6 p.m and it happened at 6 p.m the reason he didn't do it saturday sunday is i think he went away for the week i think he went like hunting or in the woods or something like that just got away so you know you don't want your phone blowing up when you're doing that um so yeah I, it, people felt like oh my god is it ever going to happen i know some of that's because of how june and july with his recruitment played out where it kind of dragged along and stuff but like it wasn't near as big of a thing as it turned into. It was more he was trying to do it the right way. I wanted to talk to Ryan Day. That ping pong match of phone calls caused a delay and then became Monday at six. But it went off as it was expected to go. I think the quotes that are in his commitment story, the first one that Will Fong ran were actually from Friday. So, you know, just it, it was never one of these things where it was waffling or back and forth. When the decision was made Friday, he was doing it Friday. It's just a matter of it didn't become public really till Monday evening. But what, we were what asked day, not What day to... was it on Zach? Zach, what day was it? Monday. Oh my God. Sorry, we were asked to obviously, you know, not spoil it for the kid, not flip crystal balls, those kind of things. So we abided by that. And I know that's uncomfortable and people don't always enjoy it and they would love a little bit more stuff. But like if we're asked to do that by the party who's doing the commitment, then we're going to do that. Yep. So sometimes we know things that we can't. And I mean, sometimes there's things that happen that do surprise us. Like that that does yeah. exist plenty too, which makes this job fun. Um, it would be boring if we knew everything all the time or if you guys knew everything that was happening like every single step of the way. Um, but we will try to inform you as best we can when we can consistently. Bye, Orsonone from Sunday Gold. We want Bama. Bye. Bye. I mean, it would be a hell of a fun bowl game. Now, the Jacksonville game years ago, and Bama wasn't Bama at that point. That was fun as could be. So, like, yeah, I'd, I'd be down. I'd love a Bama. I'd love a Texas. Texas. Give me, a, give me a name opponent. I think it would be a really fun storyline. And at the end of the day, it's a bowl game. It's sort of like a glorified exhibition. And it would be cool for FSC to win and potentially get 10 wins, presuming they win this coming Friday. But, yeah, just give me a cool opponent. I, I don't want to play Purdue. More oh, like Purdue. What am I going to owe? What am I going to owe subpart F at the end of the season? I don't. He might have moderator duties by the time this is all said and done, guys. He I should may, make you shave your head. That was not part of the agreement. I'm afraid I wouldn't come back <laughs> at this point, or come back in all gray. I look like Christopher Lloyd. Hey, let's take a quick commercial break. On the other side, a few recruiting tidbits and then predictions, and we'll get out of here. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to On the Bench. So let's get into the recruiting aspect of the show. Uh, This segment, we will focus on a pretty hefty visitor list for the Florida game, which makes sense. It's a big marquee game in the final stretch here before official visit weekends really kind of ramp up in December, as well as a little bit of portal talk. But Zach, let's get going with the visitors and just some of the latest intel you're getting from potential uh, potential recruits cool. who might be in Tallahassee on Friday evening. Yeah, so starting with the three official visitors, um, yeah, two commits coming in, three-star Juco defensive end Jaden Jones and then three-star defensive back Quindarius Jones, both currently committed to Florida State. The one inc- uncommitted guy is a guy that Chris mentioned earlier, four-star defensive back out of the state of Mississippi, Isaac Smith. Moving over to some of the unofficial visitors, four-star new you know, Florida State quarterback commit Brock Klein is expected to be in Tallahassee for the first time this season, his first ever FSU game experience. Um, and then a few other really important commits going to make it in, five-star wide receiver, you know, FSU's crown jewel of their, their 2023 class, Hakeem Williams, and then four-star offensive lineman Lucas Simmons, who I think is is kind of a, you know, this is an underrated visit for him um, just because uh, if you guys remember a few weeks ago, Lucas made it to Florida's campus for one of their home games um, created some some controversy. He, he obviously came out and and you know told Knowles twenty four seven in, a, in a, a big article that um, things are you know still great between him and FSU and that he's locked in and said all the right things. Um, but I think this is an important game for FSU to go you know, have a great performance while he's you know inside Doe Campbell Stadium and, and what's expected to be a packed crowd um, against the school that that he visited earlier um, within the past month. So um, some important you know uh, committed guys few uncommitted this list is going to grow by the way so if you're you know listening to this we might have added um like what who was that who was that chris no it wasn't me not me it's definitely brennan it was not me okay well anyway um i have no idea what you guys are doing sorry colin um so the I'm trying to get my. You're saying that the list was growing. Yeah, I was going to yeah, make was, a. I'm growing. By the time people the list listen, growing right now, it might be bigger. Yeah, by the time this this podcast comes out, the list might have uh, expanded a little bit. Um, Brendan, don't make an annoying joke. Um, yeah, so make sure you're checking those 24 seven. There's a few uncommitted guys on here. Two JUCO prospects actually. One is offensive tackle Elijah Felipe. Um, he's a six foot seven uh, offensive tackle prospect out of Scranton, Pennsylvania. They call it Scranton. What? The Electric City. Scranton. What? The Electric City. Lazy Scranton. The Electric City. They call it that because of the electricity. The city's laid out from east to west, and our public parks and libraries are truly the best. Call poison control if you're bit by a spider. But check that it's covered by your health care provider. Plenty of space in the parking lot. But the little cars go in the compact spot. 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 Lackawanna Community College, 6'7", 300 pounds. He's the number two offensive tackle in the 24-7 sports JUCO rankings. Number seven JUCO player overall. He has an 88 grade on 247. He's got offers from FSU, South Carolina, Auburn, uh, and a few others. Um, he actually has an official visit set up to FSU for the, the last weekend uh, that, that FSU can host players in December, on December 16th. Um, and then the other JUCO prospect is Will Lee. A defensive back. Um, sorry. Uh oh. The blanket killed the man. Will Lee. Zach. Hey, Zach. Zach's back. Now, this is You're talking about here. Will Lee, the blanket. Go ahead. Is that Will Lee. Yeah, it didn't lag. It just stopped totally and didn't uh, get any of the audio, but that's fine. Um, Brennan, you're sabotaging me. All right, Will Lee, three star defensive back. He's the number one safety in the Juco rankings. Right now on 247, he's a guy that has a lot of interest in FSU. Um, I think FSU wants to see him in person and kind of have that last part of the evaluation get measurables. Um, 
kind of evaluate what they want to do there. Um, I think if if FSU wanted him in the class, he'd likely be in it. Um, but they they still kind of want to evaluate their options. They have a few more high school guys that they're involvement involved with at defensive back, like Damari Brown, Edwin Joseph, um, Isaac Smith is a newer target. Um, so there's there's a few other options, and then obviously we expect FSU to go heavy in the portal, searching for a few defensive backs as they try to you know improve that room. Probably you know one of the weakest points of a, an already strong defense is the defensive backfield. Plus, you're losing a guy like Jamie Robinson, and you have potential to lose others depending on whether they go drafting or portaling. So um, I think uh, you know he's a, he's an important guy to monitor. Um, 2024s, like I said, this list is going to grow, but an important one, five-star FSU running back Cameron Davis. Uh, FSU running back commit Cameron Davis is expected to be on campus. That's pretty big. Um, his team, uh, unfortunately, lost their playoff game last week, which is allowing him to make the visit. That's a lot of what's happening here is if guys have playoff games, it's likely going to be played at the exact same time as when FSU is playing on Friday night. So not a lot of chances for guys to make it that are still in their playoffs um you know within the state so you know th th that's an important thing to note for guys that maybe you know we're trying to make it that couldn't i know that's the case for like a guy like uh, keldrick falk fsu uh defensive line commit out there in alabama he was you know wanting to come to the uf game but his team won last week so they're they're expected to play on friday night um 2025 is actually uh some surprising names uh two five stars uh, in the 24-7 composite expected in. Caleb Cunningham is a five-star wide receiver. I really like him. Uh, he's already made it to campus one time at FSU. He's a six foot three, 180-pound uh, receiver, ranked number two wide out in the country in 2025. And then you have Cameron Sparks, who's a five-star athlete, I believe out of, the, yeah, out of the state of Tennessee, Chattanooga, Baylor High School, the number one athlete in the country for 2025. Obviously, those rankings will expand as, as the years come on, but um, a really talented prospect that that's expected at FSU this weekend. Um, I don't know if you were going to ask me another question, but uh, to, to address some of the rumors that are going, you know, rampant on the Nose 24 seven board, Brendan was kind of asleep. So just wanted to wake him up a little bit. I thought um, Chris would chime in with something with recruiting. He didn't. And that was fine, but I was giving my buddy the window there and here we go. Zach, there were some rumors going around. Would you like to address them? Yes, I would. Four-star defensive tackle Jordan Hall. Um, there's some rumors going around. Um, you know, I think you know, on our side, people are posting that that he's visiting officially for this weekend. Um, I confirmed as of Wednesday morning. I don't know if that's like a Thursday or Tuesday, whatever um, calculation you want to use. In FSU, Real life right? Wednesday, FSU yeah. Thursday. Yeah. So on, as of Wednesday morning when we we're recording this, he has not set up a visit with FSU for this weekend. At least he has not communicated that to FSU. And I confirmed that if it is going to be, if he is going to come this weekend, it's not going to be for an official visit. It'll be an unofficial. Um, so, you know, I don't think the, the stuff that out, that's out there is accurate right now. Um, maybe he's telling that to people, but he has not told that to FSU, which obviously would be the, the people setting up uh, these visits. So, um, and then moving on from him, four-star running back, Mark Fletcher is a guy out of American Heritage down there in South Florida. He just decommitted from Ohio State within the past week or so. Um, Florida, Miami are the schools involved, but someone had posted on our board kind of saying that FSU was was a school that that was you know entering the mix for him. Um, I do think that FSU is communicating with Mark Fletcher's camp. I don't believe that communication to be super developed at this time, um, and I don't. He won't be at the UF game because American Heritage has a um, playoff game on Friday night. Um, so definitely won't make it for a visit then. FSU is trying to get involved there. You know, I was, you know, told basically we'll see what happens. Um, that that That's a recruitment that UF has, has gotten some, uh, you know, momentum in since his decommitment from Ohio State. And Miami is definitely heavily involved as well. And uh, I think FSU, you know, kind of following the trend of, his interest in in-state schools, maybe uh, they can try to get him on campus for a visit in the month of December. Um, another important thing to note, I'm going to put, put out a scoop piece kind of outlining some of this stuff. I do not expect FSU to host official visit, uh, host official visitors on the first weekend of December. Um, basically this year, it's a little bit different. Um, there are uh, right after, you know, rivalry uh, weekends. So on Saturday, and then moving into Sunday, 
there's you know four days of that following week that FSU is able to meet with their current players, um, kind of you know their exit interviews as as many call them. Um, Norvell will will sit down with all the current players and kind of talk things over and just recap the season and what what's ahead and just kind of what those guys' role on the team will be moving forward. You know, I'm sure you know that'll cause some departures uh, in the program as you know natural attrition occurs every off season. But after that period, that's when coaches are allowed to get on the road. So this year they're losing four days of in-home visits compared to previous years. Um, so FSU, instead of hosting visitors on that first weekend on their campus, they're going to be going and, and uh, doing in-homes that that first weekend of December to kind of make up for that lost time as other schools try and you know, host a few officials uh, that weekend. So just wanted to note on that. But we'll get more into December recruiting after this week because obviously that'll be the main topic of discussion uh, leading into the month of December. The weekend Zach's referring to is December 2nd as far as a dry weekend, essentially. December 9th, right now we have, I think, Derek Hunter on the agenda. I don't know if there's anybody else on the 9th at this point. Yeah, and then I the six, those, yeah, I expect those weekends to grow. Uh, you and then the 16th is packed. It's going to be a lot of the commitments. Pretty much anybody that's a lock in the class that hasn't yet taken an official outside of the two coming in this weekend are expected to come in that weekend. And I think some of the guys who already have taken officials who are committed will also return for that weekend. It's kind of the big weekend. It's the last one before your early signing period. Yeah. What's a, um, what's a dry I, weekend? What? Never heard of one of those. Okay, alcoholic. Um, Whoa. Yeah, I expect the, those weekends to grow a ton because those are obviously what the FSU is focusing, especially the weekend of the ninth. Derek Hunter will not be the only official visitor then. Mm. Um, and a lot of that is going to depend because Florida State or Florida has their state uh, championship games in two different locations. One weekend will be in South Florida. I believe uh, that's the 16th weekend. And then the other is the ninth. I believe, uh, in Tallahassee, actually. Um, so that'll be for lower classification. So depending on who makes states, that could shift official visits schedule some. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but I think uh, I think FSU is going to load up those weekends. And in the 16th especially, it's going to be a huge one. I know a few other guys that you know FSU's close to locking down OBs for, and obviously we'll report on them when they happen. Sorry for the voice crack. <laughs> Sorry, you're still... So here's the other part of recruiting transfers. It's Brendan's favorite time of year. Go ahead, buddy. What's that, what's that supposed to mean? You love you some transfers. So it starts on December 5th? The oh, transfer yeah. portal for non-graduate transfers who F are F at the D1 level. Yeah, national F holiday. FBS level. It should be. I think I think Dane and Zach, Chris, you're welcome to come over, but you're a funny daddy, so I don't expect you to. We're all going to sit around and... And enjoy some beverages and and watch the portal action. It'll be like a be like a holiday. I think it'll be fun. Uh, but yeah, so the portal opens on December fifth in terms of that window for FBS transfers. But it's currently open for FCS transfers, and there's already been a, a handful of intriguing names to enter. I'm not sure FSU is going uh, super aggressively after anyone right now. It's more just kind of you know a, a part where you're taking a look at guys and seeing if anyone can help out. But uh, you always know, saw them hit hit gold last strike gold last year with with jared verse so uh that is to follow like that they've done that path before are there any guys who've stood out to you all so far or do you want me to just talk about some names that i like um, well i know one is the harvard dn i know you you touched on a few days ago you kind of singled him out before you did a little bit more of a broad these guys entered type of story yeah that was truman jones of he's from the atlanta area and he's been a three-year starter at Harvard, I think he has like 80-something quarterback pressures over three years. And what I like is that he's 6'4", 240. Like he actually has like legitimate you know, FBS measurables. And he's somewhat regional, which a lot of those lists that we're putting out with guys to potentially look at who might enter the portal. Like a lot of them are going to have uh, some regional ties to the or ties to connections to this coaching staff, just guys who would make sense. But in the Truman Jones, uh, in that case, was someone that wasn't really on the radar but again, FSU went to the FCS ranks last year, got a good defensive end in Jared Verse. If Jared Verse were to go pro, you know, FSU really likes its class, uh, who it has coming in uh, amongst its its freshman defensive ends and Keldrick Falk, excuse me, and Lamont Green Jr. I was going to start saying boots, and I said Keldrick Falk, which not baseball, it's not a bulk. Uh, but with those with those two coming in, and then as well as what they are projected to have coming back with Derek McClendon, Patrick Payton. Byron Turner, we all really like. Like, I think you want to probably have 
six defensive ends that you trust in the rotation any given time. And if you do lose someone like Jared Verge, who would probably be a top 40, top 50 draft pick, uh, maybe even earlier, depending on what mock drafts you follow, mock drafts are real. Uh, having having a transfer would, to kind of round out the room, would make sense. I'm not saying it's going to be Truman Jones. Again, I think we're very early on in, in this process here, and I don't expect FSU to, to go rushing right now. Uh, at wide receiver, uh, that's a position that like I don't think is a huge need for Florida State. It depends on what you, you lose. Now, you do lose Ontario Wilson, and if you want to find a speedy, deep field threat like him, uh, and Deuce Van could become that, but I just don't know if you trust him to be like, you know, Pokey's a, a full-time starter. I don't know if you trust Deuce Van to be that quite next year. So if you want to go find someone like him, you know, we've listed guys who kind of fit that mold uh, at Knowles 24-7, but two guys who entered the transfer portal yesterday, I think could be worth looking into. One is Grant DeBose from Charlotte. He's really productive. He has about 1,500 receiving yards the last two seasons combined. And uh, big, big target, six foot three, 200, plays physically. Reminds me more like what you have on the roster with, say, a Kentron Potier or, or, or Darren Williamson, just with a lot more uh, proven commodity type to his game at the G5 level. Uh, but so you already have that kind of skill set. So I'm not sure that's someone who necessarily fits the bill. And then the other one is uh, Andrew, uh, what's it? Anderson, right? I make sure. Andrew Armstrong, excuse me. Yeah. yeah, Andrew Armstrong from Texas A&M Commerce, so FCS level. He's six foot six, broke out the season for more than a thousand receiving yards. His film's super intriguing. He's really bouncy and smooth, fluid uh, at at that size. Wins a lot of you know, tough contested catches. Can take the top off a of defense as a long strider. Uh, so yeah, so there there is some certain juice for him. I don't know, if, Zach. You have any names or anyone that you're looking at or who's already entered who's interested you? Um, yeah, Armstrong was the guy for me. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm like looking at this. Can we just take a second? We need to handle this. All right, we had a little bit of recruiting news just pop up. That's going to take uh, Chris in. Nothing huge, but but visitor stuff for this weekend coming up. This list is growing, as Zach said. So it's going to take Chris's and Zach's attention away from the podcast. We're starting to wrap up anyway. It's just going to move past the transfer segment and get into predictions and get out of here. So Florida State opened as a nine-point favorite over the Gators. Uh, before we get to the predictions, Chris, do you want to let the people know about a little promo that we got going on? Or should I? You know what? No, I'll let them know. I got it. 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 Um. 75% off, we'll call it a Black Friday sale, but it's going to last a few days. So hop on in. If you only want to do a month, it's a dollar for the first month. You can do 75 off annually. Paramount Plus comes after the promotional period for that. You know, I, I don't need to tell you what kind of product we have here. I think we've proven that over time, but we have a great staff. You know, the three guys that are sitting right here, Dane Draper, Brett Nevitt, are also huge pieces for us. The X's and Nulls guys with Kev, Adam, and Trey been massive additions they help us a great deal our photogs greg and travis do a phenomenal job of shooting events for us especially football games been big pieces behind the scenes for a long time so you know we're rolling deep we got 10 people here and we're trying to do this thing at the best possible level we're going to cover recruiting better than anybody we've proven that time and time again we covered the team analytically brendan's obsessive with that stuff so enjoy that if you just want some passionate love that's me that's what i'm here for from a football perspective we're going to cover baseball basketball soccer softball we cover it all we cover florida state athletics we do a heck of a job uh you know hey we're trying to give it away to you basically so hop on in that promo will last a few more days you can find it on the front page you can find it on our socials you can find it on our emails you can find it on our facebook it's there if you need help with it, shoot us a DM or something. Let us know. I don't think it's upgradable for those of you who are currently monthly to annual. But sometimes if you reach out to the company, they're able to do a little something for you there and maybe help you out if you want to move to being a 12-month member instead of a month-to-month -month kind of guy. So we're here for you. We'd love it. We appreciate your business. Even when we get a little uh, short and rude at times, maybe, we, we actually do love you guys. It's just two bucks a month. Do you want to do your prediction, Chris? Um, yeah, I actually haven't really thought about it too much. I think FSU is going to roll. Um, I think the biggest key for FSU, two main things. One, take care of the ball. Florida is actually pretty good at forcing turnovers, one of the better teams in the country. Their turnover margin is one of the stats that stands out about them in a positive manner. So take care of it. That's always important. But against a team is good at creating them. It's very important. Secondly, lean on Anthony Richardson. And I think some of that is both physically, but also put him in a difficult situation by scoring first and scoring a couple times early. Make it where he can't be comfortable with what he's really good at. Make him into what he's not, which is a 
passer who has to do it constantly. It's just not his bread and butter. I'll go with FSU 38, Florida 21. I am in a very similar realm as you, Chris. I have Florida State 35, Florida 24, but that's just me being a little conservative. I, I think there's a really good chance, especially if Florida State starts early, that, that FSU does roll and, and handles this team fairly convincingly uh, if you get off to a good start. Zach? Yeah, um, I think I'm going FSU 35, Florida 21. Um I think, like Brennan said, I think if you get out to like a two touch, if FSU gets out to a two touchdown lead early, um, like they've been doing the past couple of weeks, I think they win this game convincingly. Um, and I don't think it's going to be that close for that long. Um, but you know, I think I'll give Florida some some leeway and just say that Anthony Richardson has a good game or whatever. Um, they they scored twenty one points, but I think FSU is prime for for a more prime for a blowout than you know a. a a loss. In my Ooh, opinion. a blowout more lock- likely than a loss. Yeah. I think I'm with you there. Uh, okay, last thing, guys. Buy or Sinone, stuffing. Buy. Have you looked at me lately? I mean, that's definitely a buy for me. <laughs> buy, but not the way your mom makes it, Brendan. Sorry. My mom makes uh, great stuffing. You just use box top, which is nothing wrong with box top, but also step it up. Box top goes crazy. And I don't want no chestnuts or whatever. Water chestnuts. All right. For Zach Blossing, for Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. Make sure to check out Knowles 24-7. Check out our promo right now. Got a lot going on. It's going to be news on the website before I even get this podcast posted probably. So it'll be like a weird uh, introspective inception type of, type of deal. But anyways, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Gobble, gobble. Uh, go Knowles. We'll talk to you guys after the games on Friday. hero arrives i am ready is there anyone stronger no tougher no funnier i do not make jokes i make warriors knuckles now streaming only on paramount plus yes